and she's obviously losing some kind of battle. What is your unique point of view? It's hard to put into words. Oh, please, whatever it says is going to seem related to this. It's like when you turn on a television set and then you turn it off. One hour, that's all you get. You probably shouldn't get so upset, it's not good for you. Is that true? Must be. He just said it. Isn't it nice to feel that way whenever you want? You'll love the way it makes you feel. Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. That show is AMC's Mad Men, which came out from 2007 to 2015. We're now on episode 11 of season one, titled Indian Summer. I'm John Negroni, and I just have one person with me on the on the show this week, which is sad and happy at the same time, but whew, he's feeling the heat. It's Michael Overhaul. Hey, Mike. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry, John. I was, I was What's rejuvenating. All those wires. That's like a... Why do you have the camera pointed to your uh, trousers, your plastic trousers? To show my really cool new underwear. That is like a such a cool little device too. I did a little, I did a little like research. Mike. Like I, I went a little, I nerded out a little bit on a. You nerded like out the on relax a relaxation tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because um, I was kind of fascinated. I was like, what, "Did this like exist?" And it totally did. Like legit, it was like a real device and it was extremely successful. Um, there's like a whole backstory. Do you want to hear it? Well, did you research it or did you just like go and ask your older female family members about it? Why not both? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, like I, I just did a little, just a few good uh, targeted Google searches. I'm not, I didn't go to like the library. This isn't like a new decimal system situation, but no, like for real, this, so I don't know how much you know about like the post World War II like inventor boom. Like there were a lot of people basically taking the like equipment that was like over industrialized from World War II because you know we made all it, this stuff for the war. Yeah, it's how it's, it's how we got silly putty. Are you telling it, me that yeah. World War II invented masturbation for women? <laughs> I would say that it reinvented. You know, it reinvented the wheel. Oh wow! Um, wow. Yeah, just a little bit of a callback to a future Mad Men episode. But no, it, it, basically, the story goes that the guy who invented the relaxicizer, he, uh, the PER, he, um, he made it out of like all of these old like bits and wires and stuff that were, he was able to just like fashion into a totally medically unsound <laughs> weight loss device that was like totally full of it. But yeah, like people legit bought it because they used it to masturbate. And, here we are now, I guess. And they actually, they made it illegal. I think um, in the 70s. They made masturbating illegal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might be a little bit in trouble there, Mike. But no, like for real. The, I missed uh, that part in Footloose. They, they banned the sale of the device itself. I think because it was like very dangerous. It was like causing a bunch of health risks, which to me, I wouldn't have caught the like, you know, I think Matthew Weiner might have been making a little, a little sly connection between this device and cigarettes. Because they they talk a lot about like the cigarette the warning labels and everything and, and all that, but you can still buy cigarettes. That's true. I yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that those things were safe. I mean, there was like nineteen wires connected directly mm-hmm. from an electrical box to <laughs> your genitals, basically. Um, so even I if think it one wasn't of the side effects was or, uh, one of the side effects was epilepsy. So there was something to like the electrical shocks. Yeah. Also, yeah. there there is a connection between like the electric 
therapy and also Betty, who, you know, is being told she has to do like psychoanalytic therapy. Psycho, but he doesn't say psychoshock therapy, but you could maybe make a little connection between like she literally like masturbates in this episode and she's, you know, in heat and, you know, she could use a relaxer, you know, return to her youth. She went, she went old school though. She was using that dry, washer dryer combo uh, for a dry. <laughs> I don't know which one was on its heavy spin cycle, but you know what I always, for you know what show I think of a modern show when I, when I uh, see this episode and that's uh scrubs. Do you, you, you scrubs guy? I was, Mike? I was not a scrubs guy. I was not, uh, unfortunately. Michael, I feel like I'm, I'm, how, many, how many episodes did you try though? Um, every time Maverick had it on in the apartment. That probably has a lot because he, he he tends to get obsessed. He loves it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Scrubs is one of the best shows of all time, one of the best comedies. Dang, that's that makes me a little bit sad. I feel like that you would like that show if you tried it more. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe I I you know I went through like the classic boyfriend test or where I had to watch like all sixteen seasons of Grey's Anatomy, and it's really God help just you. Uh, exactly. And it's I just. I can't do any of the medical show. And I get it's a, it's a comedy and it's very different. I just, I don't know. I see, well, I, see I, I don't want to veer off course. Walk away. <laughs> I don't want to veer off course too much, but uh, legitimately the show scrubs, like the medical community has said, it's actually one of the most, if not the most medically accurate shows about working in a hospital ever made. Uh, it really is. I, I don't, yeah. Maybe one day I'll be able to uh, convince you, maybe even coerce you into checking it out. Hey, we're going to need a rewatch podcast to, you know, to do after this. <laughs> Mad Men will be over eventually. Um, yeah, and it, I, I do love doing this show. It's it's a little it's a different energy doing it one on one. You know, I I don't even yeah, know where to feels, begin. It feels more intimate. You know, I, I'm really enjoying that. Um, I just it's also it's I don't know. Obviously, if you're listening, you can't tell. It's like really early in the morning, so it's like a little romantic. Watching John sip his coffee. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm the morning person. You're not, so I was a little. You were like, you want it seven thirty, okay? And I was like, yeah, but I was a little skeptical. It's like, is he going to be up? But hey, here you are. Here I am, ready to talk about Donald Draper. This episode starts with uh, death, which is you know, it's funny. It starts with death. It ends with uh, rejuvenation. <laughs> uh, this episode begins with. Adam Whitman, we see him come back here. And I want to start with this because like rewatching, always watching this episode is really hard for me. You know, I, I think like that's a very um, triggering form of death for me uh, for reasons I won't discuss. But like genuinely like watching this scene, like th- I haven't rewatched the show in a few years. And so like I, I had to like kind of pause um, seeing like what Adam is like doing and you know, saying, you know, the, the money on the table, the, the note that he leaves, I kind of have always sort of liked how ambiguous the show is about like why he does what he does. And you can sort of like read into it however you want. My latest interpretation, I've usually just been sort of like, you know, he probably got, he probably got really drunk and he's just, he's in despair. Like, you know, his brother abandoned him and paid him off and he doesn't see a reason to live anymore. I, I have like a, not a different read, but like maybe something to add to that now. And I'm curious what you think. I think like what ended up with him is that he blew all the money on who knows what, like, you know, and it didn't help. Um, he wasn't able to make something out of himself. He was like running out of money and he saw like, soon I'll have no money. I'll have no brother. I'll have nothing. And, you know, when we meet him earlier in the season, like he's working at American calculator, he's trying to like, he is like on that path of like trying to make something of himself. 
And what that money does is it's like, even with money, money doesn't solve the problem that like is inside him, the, like the loneliness that he feels. And so that's why I think that he looks disheveled. I don't think necessarily he was like a drunk or anything like that. Maybe he was, but like, I think that that's like irrelevant. Um, and it's, it's such a tragic thing. And it's something that I, I don't know if like, uh, we'll, we'll have to discuss in future episodes, but like definitely not something I don't think Don ever fully wrestles with, but, uh, yeah. What's your read on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought a really similar thing to you. Yeah. I think they do a really great shot of having that like steady, but brief shot on his, on the money, like in counting it while he's writing the note. So you can see like, there's definitely still money left, but boy, is that not as much as it was when he saw Don and, what struck me about the episode and I think is is really true about these kind of incidents when they're happening in real life and it's just it was just so quick, right? You're like, oh, there's a chair and oh it's done. That he did it, right? Um it, it was it, it was really aggressive by the show. Um but I feel like that's you know how you experience it in life too. It's like all of a sudden it just something you know, it, it happens and it's sad and there's not a build up to it a lot of the times. Um, as far as reasons for doing it, I think you're pretty on, on, on the ball there. I like how the show kind of show shows that it shows him taking the money, not being able to wrestle with accepting this, um, not, not being able to compartmentalize. And then we go directly to Dawn in bed with another woman being like, why is this hard for you? Just don't think about it. I don't think about it. And it's really easy. <laughs> well, I mean, we have the Betty scene right before that too, right? Where she's alone. And she's kind of in Adam's situation to an extent, right? Like her husband hasn't come home. She hears something outside and like, you know, there's a reason later in the episode, she sort of is like, he's very protective of me. You know, every time I see this episode, I, I, I definitely catch those little moments with Betty. I really like Betty's story in this because like in some ways it's not as elegantly tied to the rest of the plots, but there is that sort of like running thing with her where she's willing to sort of, um, do unexplainable and weird things in order to get Don's attention because clearly like Don is like, you know, kind of at his wits end with her. Like, I think he's for the first time seriously considering leaving her. Um, Cause you mentioned the thing with her, with him in bed with Rachel. I think the first couple of times I watched this episode over the years, I don't think I ever really thought that he would leave Rachel or sorry, leave Betty for Rachel. I always kind of figured he's like, this is just his next midge. This is just sort of like him, you know, telling her what she wants to hear. I kind of have like a kind of like not there anymore. I kind of think that like he's really wanting to sort of like ditch Betty because he's so like the way he calls us the therapist later. And it's just like money isn't solving this problem. It didn't solve the problem with Adam Whitman, which he's about to find out. But he just thinks that he can turn everybody into himself into this like independent person. He thinks that Peggy can be him. He's trying to turn uh, Peggy into him, like literally calls on certain things of like present like a man, you know what I mean? And like, I think like his first nod of respect to Peggy is when she, uh, you know, when they bring her in and she's just like, can I change the name? The same thing that he said, (laughs) he sort of sees himself in her and that's the respect he gives Peggy. It's the respect he gives Rachel. He sees Rachel as himself. Right. So like the fact that Rachel's, you know, mother died in childbirth, but Betty is just like, he has no respect for her. He doesn't see himself in her. And so he's not a good person is what I'm saying. He's definitely not. And like, even to, you know, be as absent as he has been at home and then come home and be bad at her for having a salesperson in the house just because there was another man in the house. Right. It it seems like it's um, someone who wants out and is kind of looking for things to be mad about to, 
to convince themselves they have reasons. Right. Right. Because he's not even sort of like, hey, that was dangerous. Like, you shouldn't do that. It was just like, you let a stranger into my house. Like, there's a clear, you know, sort of, uh, you know, this is my property. This is, you know, why would you need another man there? You know, a lot of this episode is about like how um, men are sort of like see themselves as like how they satisfy women, right? Like the whole thing with the rejuvenator and all that. And I think with uh, with him, you know, he he sort of sees like Betty shouldn't need that. Like, I don't know, like maybe he like looks down on her for that. So there, I think it's really good that the episode ends the way it does with Peggy sort of turning to that instead of like, you know, being sort of like Dawn. It's like the first indication that Peggy is Peggy. Like she's not Dawn. <laughs> like there is like a sort of mentor mentee relationship going on, but we're not just getting sort of like Batman and Robin here. We're getting, you know who Peggy is going to be throughout the this season and maybe the show. I and quite. Did you, did you feel like his interaction with Peggy after the promotions was just like extremely awkward? Like he's, oh, yeah. he's kind of struggling to be a mentor. Like he has a, he's like, take the rest of the day. And she's like, I have a whole other job to do. I have to keep working. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, hang out with your friends. She's like, I don't have friends, <laughs> especially when you compare it with, uh, with Hildy, the way that Hildy talks to Pete, there's a lot in this episode of like the women in the show, like being a little bit more sort of uh, like standing up for themselves than they did at the beginning of 1960, right? Like Hildy's just sort of like being sarcastic with Pete. And I'm like, on the one hand, I could see somebody being like, hey, like she shouldn't talk to her boss that way. But on the other hand, she's having fun. Like he should not have reacted the way he did of just being like, who do you think you're talking to? He should have just like laughed it off and be like, okay, you know, like I know you got other stuff to do. Like, you know, treat people like you would like you respect them and believe that they're a human being you know yeah that, that was the thing there I, I i don't think it was a joke i think it truly was like pete does not respect hildy and so hildy's like pete you are trash <laughs> like <I'm just laughs> yeah but that's the thing is like you have <laughs> that's the thing is that like i feel like if he was willing to sort of you know take himself less seriously then he would have a much better, you know, relationship with Hildy. He'd have a better relationship with Don. Um, yeah. What do you make of the Pete stuff in this? Cause Pete has the package that Adam sends. He is gunning for Roger's position. I always thought it was weird though. Cause like the dude's 26, maybe 27. He's too young. Like, I don't get like why he thinks he's so entitled to be to Roger's position. You know, I would, like being head of account services, like he's nowhere near the most senior person for the role. He's, it's definitely still unproven. Like I, I always found it kind of weird that he he expects it, and he like seems to resent Don for not like immediately hiring him for it. I think it's because that that it's like one entitlement and privilege that he's grown up with and accustomed to. Um, but I think also it's like this inner need to prove his dad wrong. So like it's it's almost this like read I have of he he just his whole life he's like if i could just become this and like be this successful like like i i'll prove my dad wrong but the whole time his dad's telling him how like you know he doesn't believe in him so he has to believe in himself so i think he gets to this self-reality where he believes in himself so much and wants to be at that level so much that he Mm. thinks he can just do it i think that read only works if in Pete's head, he thinks that it's not that his dad disrespects advertising because his dad like says like, you know, he's like, what you're doing is whoring, you know, stuff like that. So that for that read to work, I think Pete would have to look at the situation and be like, it's not really advertising. My dad's looking down on, he's just looking for a reason to cut down what I do. 
because he doesn't respect me. So that's an interesting way to look at it. I hadn't really considered before. Cause like, it's easy to look at that and just be like, Oh, you know, he, he's just like anti-advertising. We have the, the truck driver guy in this episode who like dismisses advertising, but is he dismissing it because he genuinely thinks advertising is dumb or is it because Peggy's being like, let's, let's be honest. Peggy's a doll, but she's being a, a bit annoying like with talking about work throughout the whole date. And like, it's not a reason to be unkind to her at all, but it's sort of like, you know, it, it, we, we've all been on days, I think with people like guys and girls who just like talk about themselves the whole time. And it's not really like a give and take, you know, and that's kind of what we're getting here on both sides like i think like he's doing it she's doing it it's clearly like the chemistry is uh i can't say it's off the charts but in the wrong way it's like not wasn't even on the charts to begin with i kind of thought at first that peggy was tanking the date on purpose because she didn't want to be there she didn't want there to be a second date that's a fun way to look at it yeah yeah because she really didn't want to be there (laughs) she did yeah she says so in the beginning of it and i think like for her it's like she would rather she's been taking homework with her she's obsessed and I relate with Peggy the most usually on this show. That's definitely one of those times where I was like, maybe not for like dates and stuff, but I've definitely been in like social situations where I just want to talk about what I'm working on. I want to talk about like the creative stuff that I'm doing because it's all I think about. And uh, it, it can be hard, you know, to compartmentalize that, although it's, it's not healthy to do that. Like, it's great to have like passions and everything, but uh, I do think that like Mad Men is a show that does address this at times of how you do need to have a life. Like you do need to sort of, you know, balance work and your creative endeavors and your, your persona yourself. Uh, even like in this episode, like the whole thing with like Don's working too hard and he's, he's definitely like leaving Betty uh, high and dry um, kind of literally. Right. Uh, she, he, she's clearly like, Hey, have sex with me and he just won't do it uh my my take is that i just think that he doesn't want to he wants to leave her but uh is that your read oh absolutely i was i I was genuinely surprised when he got the partner um promotion that he went went to her her. yeah yeah Yeah. why do you think he did that rachel had dinner with her sister or something (laughs) who knows (laughs) yeah that that is the thing he's there's so many contradictions with the guy yeah because you would think that he would tell rachel but clearly there is still something tying him to betty like he hasn't made his mind up i'm trying to remember you know when he has the conversation with the psychiatrist i think it's after like he's at home and betty's just sort of like hey you're gonna come up and he's like, ah, yeah, I got to go check on Roger. No, he goes to talk to the therapist. So I'm trying to think of like what happens in between those moments that maybe has him sort of, uh, you know, actually, I did have a thought while I was watching this the second time where I was like, you know, whenever he's really fully in the Dawn identity, that's when he seems to embrace Betty more. Um, but when he's in the Dick identity, that's when he embraces Rachel. A little bit, right? Because Rachel's the one that he sees himself in, his true self, his dick self. Eh. Um, but Betty is the person who he ties more to Don Draper. Like, that's Don Draper's wife. It would be kind of odd and strange if he, she wasn't the first person like Don Draper would tell, right? So there, there is a little bit of a logic there. That makes a lot of sense. I definitely think he, he sees his dick in Rachel and, uh, <laughs> or whatever it was that you said. Um, <laughs> No, I, I I think that does make a lot of sense, right? Because Betty completes the Don Draper, um, you know, fantasy. It's the self-made man, exactly. 
Yeah, was able to marry into money. Yeah, yeah. And Where, that's what you do when you become a yeah. partner. You go home, you tell your wife, and it's a big celebration. Yeah. And I don't think he ties as much of the Don Draper identity into Rachel Minkin, who is a client, like, you know, somebody that he shouldn't be having a relationship with um, for a lot of reasons societally. Now, still, it's the person that I think he genuinely cares about, but she is a Jewish woman and there is like a racism thing there whoa, too. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, on. I think that there's an anti-Semitism there. Um Big for sure. Um, like but for it John like Draper. you're agreeing with the reasons why he shouldn't be with Absolutely her. not. Absolutely <laughs> not. But I mean, that's, that's the thing is I think the Don persona is like such a, you know, closed minded sort of like, I mean, you see it when he's the Don persona in their first meeting, you know, dismisses her, wants nothing to do with her. But when he lets his dick out, I can't. They're, they're, it's low hanging fruit, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, when he's he his Dick Whitman self, fruit. they they go together like you know they're so cohesive. So yeah, should we talk about Roger? Let's let's talk about Roger. I last episode with yeah. Roger in it for the season for forever. Oh, how sad would that be? <laughs> what if? Yeah, well, let's still will that. He's not here. Let's talk about this planet. Let's tell I Will. think he. I think he knows that Roger is a fixture of the show. I mean, wasn't it? I think we already talked about it. He wasn't intended to be. This was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I think he was supposed to just die. Uh, but no, it has to be right. He had. He's supposed to die, and Don becomes partner. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's much more interesting with him not dying, though. Yeah, because they they find so much stuff to do. I mean, I, we shouldn't say anything, but yeah. Um, so Roger's back. Uh, at last to remind the viewers the people who listen and are watching along uh last week of course roger had his big heart attack it's been a month since then they kind of like glided past the debates uh the nixon kennedy debates like the next episode is going to be the election right because we're in october so november's right around the corner and uh, i was listening to an interview where matthew weiner was talking about like why they don't really cover the 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 infamous debate between nixon and kennedy like it's it's definitely one of those things. I don't know. I remember learning about it in high school. I remember it being a big deal because it was the first televised debate. And a lot of people consider it the sort of like uh, the turning point of the campaign uh, because Nixon was still ahead at this point. But then the debate sort of, you know, turned his favor. But um, Weiner explained in his interview, he was like, the reason we didn't cover it on the show is because like, there's like a very small detail. But like in that time, the the debate wasn't really seen as the turning point until after the election. It was still something that was a bit of a surprise. It wasn't sort of like everybody knew in the moment. You know, it's one of those things where like in hindsight, people look back and are like, oh, okay, yeah, it was because of this. Where It wasn't like discussed that way at the time. So I liked that. I liked it that the show doesn't overplay things like that. It sort of like is more restrained with history in a way that's way more interesting, at least to me. It makes a lot of sense. It's like uh, that was their Hillary Clinton Pokemon go to the polls moment. Uh, I'll have to push back on that. I think that was a turning point, even at the time. I remember. Like, <laughs> yeah, everybody. Remember? Because like, oh. we were in all those hipster coffee shops, and we were talking about how that had changed our minds. Yeah. Big time. But um, uh, That is an interesting yeah. point, because like, definitely it's something I learned in high school, too, right? Uh, like, it, So for the fact for them not to cover it and do cover the things they are, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I think why the show works so well and why Matthew Weiner is so great is because he thinks of these things, right? A lesser show definitely would have that and it would be a whole thing. Um, yeah. But that's not They'd what be the like show's watching. concerned about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it just gets like a passing mention. 
Uh, Roger mentions it while Joan is touching him up. There's only like a little bit of Joan in this episode. She sort of like scolds Peggy for taking a personal phone call. And then, of course, Roger, or she talks to Don about like, oh, hope Roger's okay. You know, wink, wink, like makes it kind of obvious that, um, well, I mean, Roger makes it kind of obvious because when he comes back, they, they applaud him in lucky strike, of course, is back on the, the show. Always fun to see them. Um, although we don't see, uh, Lee Gardner jr. Or jr. We only see his dad, but, uh, Roger comes back and Joan does his color and Roger has this really like terrible moment with her. Cause she's clearly like upset about what happened she's loves him like genuinely like there's real love there and his response you know is just so callous it's just so sort of like i'm so glad that i got to roam those hillsides like being so skeevy about something that means so much to her right and i think this is like this is a big turning point for their relationship yeah for 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 her to be like so worried so like in love and to him come back and go you were the finest piece of ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's I, like I have, I have a lot of awards and a lot of trophies, <laughs> but you, Red, are at the fucking top. It's just horrible. Like I, I, I genuinely just like it's such a cringeworthy scene. And you know, there are a couple of movies that get mentioned here. There's a place in the sun gets mentioned um, when Rachel's talking to her sister. Right, the the 1951 film. Uh, we actually we covered it on uh, Cinemaholics two years ago because it celebrated or no last year it's 51. So yeah, but um, very very sad movie um, that they they mentioned in terms of like oh he has the person killed or whatever, and th- there is still some of that lingering sort of uh, story stuff coming in from the the episode uh, last week with the apartment and, you know, this whole feeling of like the women with the married men. And I do, I do want to bring up the way that like we, we see the way Joan is with Roger. It is a bit of foreshadowing, right. For the Rachel and Don, you know, Rachel's so naive about this like relationship she has with Don and, and really sees it as something that could like, you know, mean something. But of course she is being super coy about the extent of the relationship with her sister. Right. Like, are you seeing that goy? You know, a, a little bit. Oh, no, nothing's, <laughs> nothing's happening. happening. <laughs> We're Don't, literally like no. two scenes ago. She's like in bed with him. Yeah, yeah. But she's of course, she would say whipped, that. Man. Anyways, yeah, uh, nothing's no, happened with Don. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's <laughs> she's with a dick, baby. Um, <laughs> that's an interesting juxtaposition. I, I wasn't really thinking about, but yeah, they're definitely both very naive women. Uh, women um and i think uh i think it's really interesting to see rachel already convincing herself that dawn is very unhappy with betty and going to leave betty and she feels like it's in it, it's imminent uh something that's going to happen quick um and i, I think, think it is you know, i think that is like a, the correct i think she's actually right about that even though normally that wouldn't be the case right yeah fair enough i mean I guess he could leave Betty soon. I feel like it'd be a while before they're public, right? You got to think of these things. <laughs> yeah, clearly you have, Mike. <laughs> um, Hannah, Hannah, if you're listening, I love you very much, baby. <laughs> um, no, I, but th- that was my read for the longest time, right? I genuinely was like sort of watching the show and being like, oh, he doesn't really plan on leaving her. But I kind of get the feeling that 
he's done with Betty, but like, yeah, maybe to what you're saying, it wouldn't be like overnight. I think he is sort of being like, I still haven't figured out what to do. And I think what he's really saying there is like, I haven't, he, Don hasn't figured out what to do. And Dick is just trying to like not think about it because he's Dick Whitman at that moment. Right. So it, it is a weird thing. Um, now there's the, the, there's the whole thing too, with how Peggy is sort of like, you know, th- there is the sort of like casual sexism, like when she does her pitch, you know, and they, they have the whole thing with like the relaxer, the rejuvenator, whatever it's called. Uh, you can think of a new name, right? Mike? Um, where she pitches it to the guys and like right in front of her, like at first they're like, yeah, good pitch. But then they start like doing like talking about uh mitch's wife right you know and how she's you know, caught to trot and like peggy clearly is like uncomfortable just like standing there being like subjected to it but it is kind of interesting um because you can tell that she part of her might be a little bit thrilled because she is being treated as one of the guys a little bit like she is sort of in the room you know with them sort of like on their level like it it's telling that they you know tim hunter directed the episode and it's telling that he has the guy seated right and she's sort of standing over them like she has power for the first time in the show and they're sort of like sitting down all ears for her and like they're still sitting when they're talking you know crap about women and, and all that in front of her and she just sort of has to like accept it and it's an interesting precursor to a lot of what the show is going to deal with yeah and also i really like the small little touches about like they're not making her this like advertising savant who comes in and like has a perfect presentation. Unless she comes yeah, in, she's like realistic. a little uncomfortable. Like I wish I could have come in and not know how it works. She has one carbon copy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the work it, is it good. Just, but then the work is good, right? So that, that she just has so much raw talent. I just like that. That's what it is because that's what's realistic about growing in in, in the workplace and in your career. It's not like she was going to go in and had just have it perfectly nailed and everybody had their jaws on the floor. I do think it was interesting that scene. I feel like everybody, obviously, except for Pete, cause he's a douchebag, like is, is on her side, like kind of from the jump, like wanting her to succeed. Um, I don't know right now if that's because they, they, they like Peggy. I don't know if that's because it was, you know, another woman product. So they're like, women do your, you know, do your dance shows, how you're going to advertise this woman product. Um, but I, I like to think it's because they like her. I mean, she gets a way to go pegs at the end, right? Well, you know, the episode, you know, starts with Freddie Rumson being like, maybe lightning will strike twice, you know, still kind of like dismissing her of being like, it's super unlikely, you know, but I think like my, my read of it is that I think that as soon as they start, they stop sexualizing her, they see her for who she really is. And I think like her weight gain has sort of changed her in the eyes of some of these guys because they, they don't view her sexually anymore um, because they're very shallow, obviously. But like that just leaves them to sort of see her as her. And yeah, even the most sexist people I think can make, it's kind of like Don, it's like they can make exceptions. You know, there are very misogynist people. There are very racist people who are very, very like racist, but you know, they make exceptions for other people and they use that as sort of a bomb to their own like bigotry, right? It's just sort of like, well, I have a black friend. It's like that whole thing, right? And it's kind of like, well, I, I, I'm married to a woman, you know? So like, clearly I have a stake in this conversation we're having about women's rights. You know, it's stuff like that. Um, especially like with Ken Cosgrove. Like I, there are two moments in this episode that make me kind of, kind of feel something. Um, the first one is when Don kind of gives Peggy the, his first real like 
mentorship advice. And he's just like, just don't think about it, you know? And then at an ideal, like you can, t- you can tell that in that moment, it's just genuine. Like it, it's just like, he thinks that she has potential that she can do it. And he's, he's being a little bit, you know, prickly with her at first. Like he would be with like Paul Kinsey. Right. But then he sees like a flash of something there. And he, he says something to her in that moment that he doesn't do with Paul. Right. And then later when Ken just got, everybody's just sort of been like, you know, walking out of the room, joking with her, just like, Oh, you know, Freddie's wife. Uh, and then Ken kind of comes up and he's just like, Hey, good work. Pegs calls her pegs. Good work. Lumps her on the shoulder. Like, I don't think he knows how much that that probably like made Peggy's life. Cause this is Ken. This is the guy who just sort of like, this is like, let's go to the, the zoo to see what the animals are up to. Like he was just such a punk to her, uh, such a prick. And now he kind of like, you know, has been rehabilitated by the show. 1960 he did wonders for Ken Cosgrove. Apparently. Uh, I also think it's interesting when you juxtapose all those, all those guys and Peggy too. It's, you know, you have that scene where they're all sitting around and just literally discussing, does Don like me? What do we do yeah. to get Don to like me? And, uh, I don't, insecurity. Sits, I don't think Peggy ever sits around and goes, does Don like me? You know, she sits around and I reads think, advertising books. Like you kind of said, she has raw talent. I don't think it's just raw talent. It's like hard work for on her part too. It's both. No, she, she has, I feel just like on, um, she has a lot of talent that's like, uh, needs direction and like, needs exactly. Molding, and that's what she's doing. She's an artist. Like she has shown herself to be a very astute, a very astute observer you know, like any good artist is, but yeah, the craft of advertising when, when applied to that raw talent, like you're saying is how we end up with somebody who nails that pitch. Although we got to admit the Latin did make her sound like a valedictorian. Just a little bit. Is that uh, Johnny working advertising? Is, is that a thing? Like, or do people tell you like avoid Latin? Like, cause I kind of see um, like an in advertising joke of like, cause I know when you, when you make a new website, it's always like in the fake Latin. Right. And so I didn't know if that's like a, ongoing advertising industry joke it it's it is sort of this thing which where um you don't want to be so brainy that you alienate the every man or every woman you know like you're supposed to have advertising everybody's supposed to see themselves in it and so when you do things like that in latin like and you try to make yourself look like teacher's pet you try to make yourself look like the teacher it makes people feel like it's they're reading homework you know, the context is you're reading this in a magazine. You want it to sort of like be an extension of yourself. It does kind of tie in with the way that Don sees himself and other people and advertising. You're supposed to see yourself in the ad. And that's where I think that's where that is coming from, <laughs> you know, and that's why like the, you know, you, they were one of the main criticisms that they gave to her pitch, like a light criticism, but it was like, Hey, we need still need a hint of what this thing can do because when you read it, you know, advertising advertising is one of those things where you, you can be so in your head about it you forget that like what is somebody with fresh eyes gonna think when they read this and be confused of like well what is it um and that's kind of what separates i think like a really good advertising person like a creative director level like don um and freddie he and freddie are the ones who note that right because they've been in the business a long time that's what kind of separates them from somebody who's just kind of you know a little bit junior a little bit sort of like trying harder than they need to. And I think that's what that Latin thing is doing, you know, and that's why the name still isn't right. Like rejuvenate. It takes too much work to explain like what that name means. Yeah. That was but the electric dildo diaper. <laughs> I think it's a point across. Um, 
I, I would, yeah, I'm not going to go there actually, but, um, <laughs> uh, I do love that shot at the end of the episode though, where she just like, you know, like reaches for the briefcase and like fly me to the moon is very, very good. Uh, that that is one of the, it, it, it's such a good song to go after that. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Uh, top, top tier. Cause I mean, they, they do a really good job with that generally, but this is a brash along. Yep. It, it beats out New Amsterdam's We'll Have Manhattan, you know. Uh, we got to talk about the air conditioner guy. Who? Oh, man. Low key, he can get it. I'm just going to oh, put I that mean, out there. For sure. I mean, a little sweaty. He's tan. He works outside all day. Um, ah, you know, he's, his speaking, you know, tone, you know, he, he just kind of goes for it. You know, he's just like, can I trouble you for a glass of water? Um, you know, and there's something like to his speaking cadence, you know, I could see why Betty, like here, here's my whole thing with that. Betty is sort of like, uh, suppressing herself, you know, her urges. I think in that moment when she's going up the stairs, she feels like, oh yeah, I want to have sex with this guy like right now. And that's why she has to be like, you gotta go, (laughs) you gotta get out of here. Um, is that your read? Absolutely. I think some people would be like, oh, she's just scared. But no, I don't think that's what it is. Not at all. Because I think, I think you're you're viewing the scene from Betty's shoes. I mean, I think there is like a sexual tension in the air just without how the scene is shot, the cadence, like she's wearing. Exactly. Um, And so I think absolutely she's like, this is going to go bad if this happens because Betty's a person with no self control and won't give in to her deepest and biggest urges when she wants to. Um, and I also just love the way she, she calls it off. Just turn it. We're going to Sears. <laughs> yeah. It's a great commercial for Sears. <laughs> um, and, and he's just like, well, you know, I can leave some, it's something you can discuss with your husband. Please go. <laughs> She's like, I got to I got to go fantasize about you at the moment. Uh, Meanwhile, I don't think the salesman is like, I think he's literally just being a good door to door. Oh yeah. Like he just wants to make some money. That's it. He has he gets himself in the house. He's just you know he's doing the pitch. Like he's doing a good job. I mean, he would just he would have boring. sex with her. He would sex with her if it would get him the sale, right? <laughs> like, he's like, I okay, mean, I'll do this, but it's Betty. You would sex with her for any reason, <laughs> unless you're I mean, Dick Whitman. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But um, yeah, no, you can tell like he's uh, he's not, he's a young guy. You know, he's unmarried. Um, he's probably a bit younger than Betty. And I think that that all is intentional. Like they want him to just sort of be this idealized, like he looks like he's straight out of the 1950s. He kind of looks like in some ways a young Don, what you would imagine a young Don to look like. Like Betty even says, like I was married to a salesman. And I think there's something about that, that like, because it's an episode where we talk about the rejuvenator, the return to youth, Betty is feeling like she wants to go back to that time when, you know, she and Don were hot and heavy um, but they're not anymore. And I think that's, what's like turning around the most. That's why when she fantasizes, she doesn't fantasize about Don. She fantasizes about the guy who looks like Don. And I don't think it's even like that nefarious on her part of where she would just want to have sex with somebody different. I think for her, it's like, she wants to have sex with the guy that she married. There you go. Yeah, I just think it was like a naughty situation that she thinks back on and like, yeah, felt hot about just, right. uh, I just do. I do think it's very funny that she uses the dryer when we have, you know, the future of masturbation in the show being advertised, but you still have Betty at fucking home. 
Hey, it was a DIY approach to the situation. Exactly. Um, exactly. We get a little Different bit more Harry Crane. <laughs> we get more um, Harry Crane in this episode. I didn't want to leave him out. Where you know that that scene you already referenced, where they're all kind of sitting around. Paul is just sort of like, "Do you think Don likes me?" Pete is all jealous. He's just like, "We're all sort of supporting Don." I think at one point Paul kind of is like, hey, "You know, Don likes you," and he's like, "Yeah, because I work at it." And there, there's like, a, there are a few subtle hints, like where Harry just sort of like, it's obvious, right? What's going to happen? They're going to bump him up to partner. This, this is one of those scenes where I think that they are sort of setting the groundwork for like, Harry's like a real manipulator. Like he's a real political actor. He like knows the ins and outs of like what's going to happen. He's kind of like a swarmy dude. And I really like that they're setting that up this early because I think it does take time to see more of the Harry Crane that we know throughout the show. Um, but I just don't want to point that out there. I think it's definitely a good thing to, to, you know, mark for listeners who are going through it their first time. Um, because as much as I don't like Harry, uh, it's just, it, it's really, he's a really interesting character and it's really interesting what he does throughout the course of the show. I'm uh, writing a new book and in his honor, I'm writing one of the worst characters, like one of the most annoying characters, uh, rich winters instead of rich summer. Um, so I hope Rich Summer appreciates that. That's amazing. That's very yeah. good. Very happy about that. Uh, we also get a little bit of we get a bunch of Sal in this episode. Um, poor Will got to miss all the South content discussion this week, but sadly, uh, Will's in the middle of a big move. That's why he's not here. But um, yeah, Sal's sort of being like, "I sent my resume this afternoon." Do you think he really did that though? I kind of don't. I kind of think he's just like lying, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, I mean. Who makes, like, I've been in a position where it's like, oh, i got to find a new job. And even I, with the gift of technology, don't and edit my resume that fast because it's really annoying to do. There is no fucking way in the in the hour from him having a coronary that he goes out exactly. and sends it all out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also the same way – sorry. No, no, please. I said also the same way there's no way he actually was into what's-his-face's wife's halter top. At the last company picnic. <laughs> I was just about to bring that up where they're just like, she's so attractive. He's like, yeah, that nod of like the gingham, like halter. T- like, I was like, oh, okay. So <laughs> that's, that's what was hot about her. Yeah. Um, love him and his love him for that. Uh, do we want to talk more about the, uh, we talked about the Peggy date scene. Um, we, we did cover a lot of it, but I, I think that like, I just can't get over sort of like how bad at this date they both are um because like with him like he is being so super patronizing too and andy's being super like uh fragile you know like he can't believe that like this woman is like talking down to him and all that uh clearly she's he's the worst person in this situation but it i do think that like it speaks to a broader thing in this episode of like how this job is so destructive to your personal life we kind of like alluded to You know, Peggy doesn't have like a friendship with her roommate, Marjorie. Um, She kind of lies about or she kind of like uh, tries to imply that like, oh, Joan, she's a scream. You know, like she and Joan aren't friends. (laughs) She doesn't have friends. She's just like kind of alone. And uh, it is kind of like a scary sort of like thing that I think that like Peggy is placing herself in, like how she is like this connection she has with her work is sort of alienating other people. And uh, I think I think it's an interesting. It's one of the more subtler points of the episode. I don't think this episode's amazing at like tying all these things together. Um, it's kind of another thing, like with Long Weekend, where I feel like we spend most of the episode 
kind of setting up the next two episodes and and it's more of like a transition than it is like uh a standalone episode of the show so it's not one of the better ones but it's effective it's functional these are one this is one of the episodes i really really struggled with uh, the episode ended and i was like all right let's go next ones because i just i want to keep watching and yeah. so i think you're exactly right it does set up the next couple episodes but um i think with peggy especially on that date it's really clear that um you know I, you, you mentioned that her and joan aren't friends i don't think they're friends i definitely think they're work friends though sure but sure. i i think they're peggy friendly. is she's so um i wouldn't say enamorated i don't think that's a word but i think it's close enamored? to the word i want to use enamored with work <laughs> um <laughs> See, like it was close to the word. I got you to get it. Well, we get ahead uh, of what she really wants with it, right? Because she wants to be Manhattan. Exactly. She wants to be one of the Manhattan but, girls. Uh, have you ever done that though at work? Where like you're maybe when you're younger, or maybe the first time at a cool company, and you you think like your work friends are your real friends, and you don't understand the difference. Uh, not really. You know, I'm a very antisocial person. <laughs> I yeah, can be know, very distant. This was. I'm an extroverted sales guy. I definitely <laughs> would go through that. I'm like, oh yeah, this like this guy should be at my wedding. I worked with him for three months. I I had <laughs> one coworker at my wedding, um, because he was like my mentor like for years. <laughs> but um, you know, I felt a little bit bad. I wanted I wanted more of my coworkers at my wedding, but it's just one of those things where I just don't have like that close of a you know. I don't. know. I've always been like that. Did you invite your coworker John Ham? <laughs> I no comment. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't come. You were there. You didn't see him. I know. I don't. I don't know why I just publicly trying to make you admit that John Hand didn't come to your wedding. <laughs> yeah, no, it just like, really brought me to tears here. Um, also, I, I got it. I was going to bring this up a second ago, but um, a lesser show to what you're saying would have ended with Pete and the box, right? Being like, oh, what's going to happen next? Right. But instead it ends with Peggy because this is a show for artists. Also. Again, very cool dichotomy they're doing here in juxtaposition of Pete spiraling, being so upset he didn't get what he wanted. Kicks us, you know, pretending he's pretending he's the guy, right? Uh, he's, and he steals the box, and then you go to Peggy, who actually is on the rise, uh, and and that's what it looks like when your career is exactly. off versus when you're a douchebag. Hey, there you go. What if you do that read? Then you could fly me to the moon. Has another meaning too. Well done. <laughs> Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? What, what's in the box, John? What's in the box? <laughs> well, I mean, clearly something that uh, is going to make things difficult for Don. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we obviously know. <laughs> um, what if it didn't? What if it was nothing? That'd be so cool. That it would be like a weird Chekhov's not gun, I guess. It's like, look che- at this che- gun. Chekhov's MacGuffin? Yeah, yeah. We need We need that gun, and then you fire it, and nothing happens, and then... Or no, you just I guess in this case you just wouldn't fire it. Like P would just be like, huh, that's weird. Who's Dick Whitman? And then just like throws it away. I mean, this is like that kind of show where you that could happen. Picture this. It's a season finale, we're two episodes later. The box it's sitting there. He forgot about it. Something happens. There's two minutes left in the episode. He walks up, grabs the box, unwraps it, gets out a knife. Cutting to Don, who's in slow-mo, enjoying his life. Back to Pete. He's cutting. Back to Don. Oh, no, what's going to happen? Close up on his face. Back to Pete. He opens up the box. 
Some motherfucking chip and dip. <laughs> That's one of the funniest things you've ever said. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, <laughs> unless you had anything else. Holy shit. That was good. Um, <laughs> I just imagined Pete's face where he's like, great. Now I have six of these. <laughs> exactly. And like, it ends with like, son of a, and it cuts off at the bitch. Yeah. And then it's just like the always sunny, like for the post credit scene, like, no, I mean, it's got to, he's like, son of a, cut my life up into a piece. It's going to do the Silicon Valley thing. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I, oh yeah, we, we did get some Francine in this episode. Can't leave Francine out. I love Francine. I love how in this episode, she has like some really pregnant pauses with, with, uh, Betty, where she's just like, why'd you tell him? <laughs> you can tell she's just like tired and she's just sort of like, Betty, what the hell? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, like because uh, she's like she's playing the same role that Betty's playing, but she's just like you know doesn't have a child's brain and emotion exactly like, capability. So it's just like she's it has just to like be exhausting to be Betty's friend. Exactly. Yeah, she's just a little bit like uh, God. Why are you the way that you are? Because we did have that. It wasn't that long ago, right? Where she had the episode with uh, she comes over and she has to like trick Betty into like this is a uh, Bobby shirt. No, it's not anyway. <laughs> uh even even you're right francine even treats betty like a child um which is a self-fulfilling prophecy the more people treat betty and talk down to her and condescend and dismiss her the more she's going to be like a child so i do think it was on purpose that that conversation took place in a nursery also yeah also we didn't talk really about like roger has a second coronary burt cooper kind of gets talked kind of just like gets Knocked down a peg by Mona. Wonderful, wonderful scene there. I love that scene. Um, I, I, I was just going to bring that up about, yeah, with Mona and Tom off. Because what's also interesting about that is the fact that Lucky Strikes guy is there. And yeah. he's the one who really pushes and makes the partner play happen for Don, which is yeah. so interesting to think back to episode one where he's like, who is this Yankee doodle dandy telling me how to... <laughs> Run well, Don's company. really come through for them, right? Like Don, you exactly. know, th- their sales have been through the roof. Um, arguably, for reasons have nothing to do with Don's campaign, but you know, sort of like because it's 1960 and people are hot to trot. Uh, but no, no, I mean, I think that like Mona's statement there is very telling. Of just sort of like I, I used to think you couldn't put a you know a value on a human life, but I, I didn't, you know, think of Burt Cooper. It kind of speaks to like his Ayn Rand philosophy, right? He brings her up again later in the episode and is just like, beware the nonconformist, you know, when he offers Don the partnership, you know, I'm going to introduce you to Iron Rand. I think you'll salivate or she'll salivate. Um, but that is that sort of like, that's the nature of the objection objective objectivist. I can never say it right. Uh, philosophy that Rand preached in the 1960s and beyond, like, you know, this sort of this thing that it's like, yeah, it's not about human life. It's about human value. Uh, it's about something far more cynical and less human that I think Weiner is clearly putting in in the episode. By the way, we didn't mention he uh, co-wrote this episode with Tom Palmer. I don't remember if, let me look up it up. I don't think Tom Palmer 
wrote any other episodes with Matthew Weiner, but he wrote a few of the early ones. Yeah, he wrote Marriage of Figaro and, um, oh, that might be it, just Marriage of Figaro. And then he co-wrote this one. Um, and that's it for Tom Palmer in this season. Um, but Matthew Weiner does have one more episode left that he wrote. So yeah, it makes it makes sense. Weiner has his hand in you know trying to land the plane of the season, right? Sure, sure. He directs the last episode of that for uh, the wheel, which a lot of people consider the best episode of the whole season. Um, it certainly has like one of the most iconic scenes in the whole show, but we'll get to that. But yeah, last last on Indian summer, very solid episode of the show. I think it's better than Long Weekend. Like I, I enjoy watching this episode more, but it still is a little bit of a slog compared to some of the best episodes. Like it's not one of those episodes where I can always watch these twice before we talk about them. <laughs> And I can tell which ones I like the most by which ones I want to watch again the most. These past two, I've been sort of like forcing myself a little bit. Um, this one less so. This one, I was a little bit looking forward to like certain scenes again compared to Long Weekend where I was just like, I don't want to do this. I think like, I just do not like this episode as much. But I think that's probably going to change next week because uh, Nixon Kennedy is a good one. Nixon Kennedy is one of my favorite episodes uh, of the season mm-hmm. of the show. Um, there's, there's a couple of moments in it, in it that I'm just, it's still all the time. Um, but yeah, no, this episode, I think, I think it really, I think it really capitalizes on the, the momentum that long weekend gives all the plot lines. Um, and I think it continues that and really catapults us into what I think is a near, a near perfect season, season finish finale of a show that it can have. Uh, these last couple episodes, buckle up. They're great. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're listening and you're sort of like, well, you know what? I have something to say. Uh, definitely hit us up. Let us know what you think of the episode. Find us on Twitter at Mad Men Men Pod. And uh, yeah, just tell us tell us what you're what you're thinking about. Be careful of spoilers. We're trying to keep him away from Will Ash, and he hasn't watched the whole show, but he doesn't have access to the Twitter. I've made sure of that. Um, so the, the Twitter is a safe place. Just DM us. Uh, I think our DMs are open. Um, and give us a follow if you want. But we'll be back on next week for Nixon versus Kennedy. Can't wait. And Mike, thanks for, you know, thanks for doing this one-on-one. Thanks for coming into the house and doing the measurements. And uh, I kind of want to go upstairs with you right now. So uh, I guess we should stop recording. I'm going to Apple Podcasts. (laughs) Bye, everybody.